Hello, Wisconsin. Hello, and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is your host, Casey Maluli, back with you here for episode 414. Yes, that is the area code for Wisconsin. Take your word on that one. We've got Tom and Tim here with us, and we're ready to go. So guys, I want to start out talking about a survey. I found it in Investment News, but the survey was actually done by Natixis, which I guess is a, a fund company. The headline from Investment News was... Stock slump has rich rethinking retirement, Natixis survey shows. The survey surveyed people that have a hundred that have a million dollars in investable assets. And the point of the article was to show that even the wealthy individuals, those with a million dollars, are worried about their eventual ability to retire comfortably. 58% of high net worth individuals say that they will ex- have just accepted the fact that they might have to work longer than expected. And 35% of those millionaires believe it will take a miracle to achieve a secure retirement. Do you guys remember how there was that survey that came out that was that found that people were expecting like 17.5% returns on an annualized basis going forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Same company that surveyed them. That was done around this time last year in 2021. So interesting uh, distinction there between the surveys. And also, this survey, the one that interviewed the millionaires, the survey was conducted in March and April of 2021. So the market's performance so far here in 2022 has had little impact at all on their responses to the survey, but the investment news article kind of made it seem like that was the case. So maybe a little scare tactic there, or what are your your guys' thoughts on this? I feel like if people that have that much in investable assets, you assume that they earn a pretty pretty good income. Um, To me, it doesn't, if they're not comfortable ready for retirement, it doesn't necessarily sound like it's a stock slumping problem. It sounds like they have a lack of planning and cash flow problem. Because, you know, when we plan for these things and for people's retirement, I mean, you're not trying to invest your way out of or into your retirement plan making sense right off the bat. I mean, you, the money that you're going to be living off of shouldn't really be in the market to begin with. Um, sure, you know, it's not good to see the market drop 15, 20% and your investable assets go down. Um, but at least the way we do it, we set it up with, you know, short-term needs are in short-term investments and uh, the long-term that's going to help you subsist over the entirety of your retirement has the long-term nature of the stock market built in so it, it can withstand 20% drops in a year and come back over time. I agree with with that, and I'll I'll also add a few other points. First, it's pretty clear to me by reading these kind of results that for the most part, people don't understand how compounding works. They just they'll nod their head and shake and say yes, yeah, sure, I get, I I understand. They don't, they don't understand it. If you're taking a half a million dollars 
and you expect that to grow to a million dollars over 10 years, most people think that when you're five years into your plan, 500 is halfway to a million. So now it sh after five years, it should be 750 on its way to a million in five more years. It doesn't, compounding doesn't work that way. It, they just don't. All the compounding happens at the end or near the end. And so you have to be patient beyond patient to really see the benefits of compounding. And so these folks that are, are really worried about the future, man, they're planting trees, but they don't realize it. They think they're putting flowers in a pot because they're, they're like, I want to see the results right now. I mean, part of this survey said that the 58% of high net worth individuals said that they're going to have to work longer. But the other part of that was the general consensus was they all plan to retire at 63. 63? Are you kidding me? The stock market's going to do what it's going to do. It just sounds to me like it's more of a planning problem and that they didn't they haven't planned correctly. 100%. And they and, still don't understand math. And considering the, the other survey that you referenced from 2021, if, if they were assuming 17% or something like that returns on their investments, then yeah, it might actually take a miracle for them to retire. But that has nothing to do with the stock market slumping right now. That just has to do with them expecting too much from their investments. You know, when we do planning, planning work for clients, I mean, we're, we're using numbers like four 5% a year, 6% a year to hit our goals because we know that if we average 6%, we're going to have some years that are plus 15 and we're going to have a year where we're down 20%. It's going to work out. But we know that if the plan works with our math using, say, 5 or 6%, then, yeah, you know, if we average 8 or 9%, it's gravy. Good for you. That's the way it works out. But I still think that there's this idea in a lot of people's minds that, hey, uh, you know, I've been sucking money away in my 401k and now I have about a million dollars. I should start thinking about retirement. There are so many other factors that come into that, into the decision of retirement, not just necessarily where your retirement account balances are. But I think that's still where people make the connection. Right. I think that that is kind of like a just a imaginary bar that people have set. And it, it kind of seems like they did the same thing with this survey where a million dollars is just, you know, now you qualify to get surveyed for things like this. But it's just an arbitrary benchmark that they set. But do you guys think that there's been any sort of the last 10 to 15, 10 years or so here, the market has been very good. So people's account, investment accounts have been inflating at these 10, 12, 15% a year clips regularly. So people have gotten used to that kind of environment. And with their inflating account balances, maybe their spending has increased as well. So they're, they're wealthier on paper, but their incomes might not have mm -hmm. had time to catch up to that. So this underlying mistrust of having the million dollars might be because they're seeing the big numbers on the screen. They can't access that money yet. And their spending has kind of, they've had that lifestyle creep where their spending has grown faster than their incomes have. Right. So it's not so much about the, the number on the screen. It's more about 
what's going out each month. I know we, we say that repeatedly. It doesn't matter if you have a million dollars, two million, five million dollars. It's what's coming out of your bank account each month. Yeah, That is going to have the biggest impact on whether or not you're going to have a quote-unquote successful retirement. Yeah, I mean, I think they said it in, in the article and we said it here, like, People say a million dollars isn't a lot of money anymore. It's like, well, I think it depends on who you ask. And we found, at least just anecdotally, having worked with people or hearing stories in the business that these high net worth or high earning people tend to uh, have higher expenses as well because they're making more money, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have more money uh, because they're like you said, there's more money going out every month and the lifestyle creep gets to you and you get lulled to sleep by the market that's going up for a decade straight. Um, yeah, that when you know you ultimately go to think about retirement and then boom, a bear market hits that doesn't snap back in three months like it did in 2020, then you start to open your eyes a little bit and be like, oh man, maybe, maybe I can't retire. But it's not necessarily just the stock market's fault. Most of the folks that they surveyed were aiming to retire at 63. It tells me that they're not 63. It's not even full retirement age. No. For social security purposes. Well, I think that's part of, that may be embedded in the answer. It's like, hey, you know what? I've got a million dollars in my 401k. I'm going to be getting, you know, $3,500 a month from social security. Like all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, uh, maybe this will work if I, if I claim early at 62 or somewhere between there and full retirement age. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an old thing I used to say, this is now going, God, it sounds 40, like almost 40 years old, is that, you know, someday the, the New York Post is going to cost a dollar, you know, because at the time it cost 10 cents. Yeah. What does it cost now? That's something that uh, people have to pay attention to is inflation. Things are going to cost more 40 years from now. Things are might cost $2. Who knows? Right. Um, but that's something that you know we help folks kind of wrap their heads around. I think one of the more staggering uh, statistics from this survey was that 42% are, of people are so worried about retirement that they avoid thinking about it at all. Well, that's certainly not going to help the problem. But Casey, you mentioned ago, a, a moment ago how uh, everyone has gotten used to the idea that returns from the stock market for the last 10 years or so have been great, and that's just going to continue into the future. Um, everybody uh, is pretty familiar with the term the Roaring Twenties 100 years ago, where the 1920s were supposed to be really great, and it all ended with a stock market crash in 1929. Do you know that the Stock market crash in 1921 was just as bad, and it it so it just so happened that it came after a world war, which when the war ended we had a pandemic, and everybody had to wear masks for two years, and uh, you know the Fed really didn't have their act together then because they were only created in 1913, but we had this boom bust cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had this bust in 1921, we had another one in 1924, and then another one in 1929. But people refer to that period as the Roaring Twenties. How, how great could that be? It, couldn't, it honestly couldn't be the Roaring Twenties for everybody yeah. uh, because it was pretty bad. So we talk about, like, what happened over the last 10 years 
in this cycle, just to go back a, a step before that, from 2000 to 2009, the, the S&P 500 returned zero. But yeah, the lost decade, right? They now we refer to it as the lost decade. Yeah. I will tell you that people made a lot of money because we had windows of time where the market returned twenty five percent and then did nothing or went down, gave some of that back. And so, just looking at the last ten years, you know, in twenty eleven we had the Asian, the Arab Spring, and stocks went down, commodities went crazy. Uh, you know, in 2013 and 14, we had... 2013 was taper tantrum? Taper tantrum. 2015 into 2016 was this period of time, a year and a half. Tim, yeah. you'll remember this, where mm -hmm. the market basically went sideways to down for about 18 months, ending with Brexit, where everybody thought it was going to be the end of the world. Yeah. In those periods of time, we had a lot of dollar strength. A lot of currencies around the world really struggled. You know, and then we went into the fourth quarter of 2018 where the Fed decided to raise rates. Uh, you know, and then we w went into a pandemic. But everybody says, you know, those last 10 years, they were really great. I knew as soon as I said that, that this was going to happen, that there was just going to be this. Well, what about that? What about that? What about that? And it's true that, you know, it's easy to say with hindsight, of course, looking back. Yeah, the market was really good for the last 10 years, but living through it. It didn't feel that way all of the time. And I think that that is an important thing for every investor to, to realize and to kind of grapple with themselves is that the market went up through all of those times and you're only going to be able to, to look back and be like, oh yeah, that period was actually, wasn't all that bad. Um, but living through it is a completely different experience. One of the other articles that I wanted to talk about was the, the one from uh, Morningstar that talked about how there hasn't been an alternative for people taking risk with their dollars. Uh, this acronym TINA has kind of sprung up over the last decade or so, and TINA means there is no alternative. Um, basically, the narrative goes that rates were so low that everyone had to put their money into stocks because that's where the only return was. You weren't getting anything on cash, you weren't getting anything on bonds, um, and now that has finally started to change. What were some of the other uh, the other acronyms now that, that people are saying? Uh, TARA, meaning uh, TARA standing for there are reasonable alternatives. Right. <laughs> and TIAA, which is not... TIAA CREF, but it means there is an alternative. Yeah. And lastly, mm -hmm. Cindy, uh, credit is now delivering yield. That is a little bit of a stretch there. Come on, people. So I know that in 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, we, we didn't know that it was going to go by this name, Tina. There is no alternative. But you guys probably heard me on the phone talking to clients saying the the long and short of it is Bernanke won. He won. He pushed interest rates down to zero, to nothing. So you will get nothing to put your money into safe investments. And the only way you're going to make money for the foreseeable future is to put it at risk, to put it into the market, to put it into real estate, to put it into these things that are not going to deliver a safe fixed rate of return. 
And that pretty much was the narrative for several years. Yields across the board, this has been a story so far here in 2022. Um, I know online savings accounts have been upping their yields. All different kinds of treasury yields are now over 4%. And um, yeah, it's it's important to, to kind of weigh the alternatives here where you, you can get some some reward without taking as much risk. Tom, I know you said just the other day that when yields are like this, while they do seem good on paper, that usually also means that they are better elsewhere. Yeah. So, and this is, I've gotten, it's all anecdotal. There's no proof that I can point to this, but it just seems to me when over the last 35 years, when Clients talk about taking money out of stocks because I can get 4% on a two-year treasury. That is usually the buy signal for me that we're probably ready to go on a nice move here in the market because people say, I'd rather earn 4% than not make money or potentially lose money. And that's usually when these yields become attractive to the point where people start thinking about shifting their asset mix that is typically the time where things we can point back to it on a chart and say that's when things really started to get cooking you know in the market so yeah i think think logically that kind of makes sense though um, whether people realize it or not because if if rates eventually get up to a point where people are saying that it means that rates have been rising which means typically it's not the best thing for stocks which means stocks have been knocked down. And that's what we're seeing now. I mean, we've been hearing for years about how the valuations on some of these tech stocks and and other large companies have just been running wild and we needed a reset. And here we are. I mean, the, the valuations have reset. We're 20% lower for at least in terms of stock price uh, than we were this time last year. And now you can get 4% or more on fixed income moving forward, um, unless they do turn on a heel and start lowering rates, which doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, uh, at least in in the immediate future here. So, yeah, I think it, it is anecdotal, uh, but it also logically makes makes sense that you know when when stocks get beaten down, it turns into a good buying opportunity. And there, there's more to to that to just add on to what Tim said. This year, it's it's easy for these talking heads on CD on on uh, TV to sit back and say, "Well, yeah, the S and P is down twenty one percent for the for the year." Um, the S and P is five hundred largest companies in the United States. I still have this thing taped to my desk because I used it so much last summer, not summer of twenty two, summer of twenty one, where we talked about stocks like Match. Zoom, uh, some of these other Bed Bath and Beyond, Teladoc, Peloton. Yeah, all of these names that Zillow. were down. This is a now at that point, many of those companies were down 55, 60, 80 percent. And so people talk about, wow, this, this bear market's going on like nine months now or 10 months. No, no, it's been going on for about 16, 17 months. We are getting to the stage now. This is late stage where they are finally starting to take down names like UPS, uh, 
gap. Some of these really well-known, well-established companies, <clears throat> they're now going for the generals and, and the indices. And that is usually the last thing that happens. Again, I, you know, like we always say, we don't want to predict the future. It's interesting because at the end of uh, 2021, everyone was talking about, well, the, the indices are being held up by just the five biggest names like Apple, Amazon, Facebook. And under the surface, all of the, you know, the SM, we talk about the SME 500 a lot. That is, quote unquote, the market. But you look at something like Russell 3000, where it's, you know, mid cap, small cap, pretty much every company out there. Um, in that time period, the end of 2021, all of the smaller company names were kind of, like you said, breaking down. And now we're kind of seeing the opposite happen, where we're seeing um, a lot of these companies under the hood. They're not getting better, but they're not getting worse. They're not making new lows. Right. That is how these yeah, bottoms put, get put in place. Right. Yeah. That's, what, that's exactly what I was going to say. Companies stop going down. They don't necessarily jump back up like you like you said earlier tim it's not going to be this snapback rally bottomings are a process and the first thing that has to happen is they have to stop going down ryan dietrich has done a lot of work in this area yeah i think um that point that casey was talking about um he 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 recently wrote an article uh that we were all looking at before we started recording and one of the points was that uh the last time that we were testing the lows there were way more overall number of, of companies making new 52-week lows. And the levels that we're at now, um, while they're not necessarily that far away from where we were last time, it's just uh, there are less companies making 52-week lows. Uh, and it's it points to broader strength or uh, resilience, you know, because I don't know if strength is technically the right word because they are still down significantly, but they're not continuing to fall, I guess is, is the point. He also did some, had some numbers on uh, what happens historically in Octobers. And I know last week we kind of recorded it on Thursday when that CPI number came out. And wow, like what a, that was one of the craziest days in the market that we've seen in a very long time. We were recording it. We talked about how futures gapped down about 2.5%. Uh, markets started out down slightly, but then staged one of the biggest comebacks in history. It was down 2%, and then it ended up being up over 2%. So it was an intraday move of 5%. And Ryan looked at recent times where that has happened. Again, take this with a grain of salt. We're not saying it's going to happen this way this time, but... Previous times that that has happened where it started down 2% and then ended up more than 2% were March of 2020, late December 2018, and then March of 2009. So what do all of those times have in common? We were at pretty close to the bottom, if not the exact bottom. So this is all kind of what we've been looking at. Again, take it with a grain of salt. We're not saying that this is you know, what's going to happen this time around, but just kind of wanted to bring it to your attention and, um, you know, kind of balance out the picture here of all the, the doom and gloom. I, I kind of feel like that's been our, our MO so far this year in 2022. Uh, Not necessarily us, but the, the market soothsayers in general, they've been pretty pessimistic. Well, I've been, I meant we are 
the counter to that where right. everyone else has been as bearish as they can be and we're kind of the balance to that yep. so wait do we have anything that that we want to say we have a couple of, of victory laps here tom i know last week you made a prediction about what was going to happen over across the pond in the uk and uh got the news this morning that it came true so last thursday while we were recording that cpi related podcast we walked into the conference room to record this with futures down 500. We didn't know that the market was going to be up several hundred points by the time we walked out of the room, which was crazy. But while we were in the room recording the podcast, one of the things I said was, I believe the prime minister in the UK will have the shortest reign in the history of of the empire. And I just didn't know it was going to happen exactly one week later. She resigned this morning. Yeah. Liz Truss. What was it, four, 45 days? 45 I days. I saw on Twitter someone call that like four and a half Scaramucci's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Pom, uh, Pope John Paul I lasted about the same length of time. Yeah. So So now, yeah, there's going to be a new election. Next week. Uh, next week. So we'll see how that shakes out. I know the... Uh, Minister of Finance, he resigned on last Friday, I believe, Yeah. the day after we recorded. So yeah. kind of that whole tax cut thing just kind of imploded and uh, someone needed to take responsibility for it. Yeah. So, yeah, just so maybe you do have a crystal ball after all. I do. And you're just not sharing it with us. It only works for certain things. Yeah. And Tim? <laughs> Prime Ministers and Jets football games. Um, every single time I've been on the podcast in the last... Since the NFL season has started, the Jets have won. And they're, when you've not been here, they've lost. They've lost. The Jets are flying high. They're going into Denver this week. They're going to win again. Five and two. Wow. Shock the world. Who would have thought? New York football is back. Love to see it. Crazy. We love to see it. So that's going to wrap it up here for the Maluli Asset Podcast. This was episode 414. Thanks as always for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.